Republican congregation, even on this Saturday morning, especially since we had not planned it today. We're just shifting everything around. And uh, so thank you so much for being here and others are coming in and uh, we believe that they'll continue to uh, come in. Thank you again. Can you let join me in letting this praise team know how much you appreciate them? Didn't they do an incredible job last night, this morning? And uh, bless our heart and then the, uh, the Palace of Praise Trio Plus One last night. And uh, I, I guess I was thinking trio because the last time you were playing the keyboard when y'all sang. And so I just saw three standing up here, so that's trio. So we'll call them the trio plus one from now on. How about that? But uh, we're so glad that you're here. You may be seated for just a moment. And uh, the praise team is going to come back in just a few minutes. And they're going to lead us in some worship. And then we're going to be blessed by the uh, ministry of Bishop Tom Gillum. But before they come, this morning we want to spotlight for just a few minutes a couple of our, uh, well, one of our missionary couples. I introduced them to you last night. And... um, uh, then uh, Brother Taylor is going to come and he's just going to share a couple of minutes with you about world missions, kind of bring you up to uh, speed of where we are. And, uh, and then we're going to go back into worship, and then we'll be hearing from Bishop uh, Gillum. But we're so glad to have Jonathan and Gay Loudermilk here with us. And I was sharing with you last night, uh, you know, my personal connection with, uh, with Jonathan, especially from way back. And uh, his dad was my youth pastor down in Fitzgerald, Georgia. Uh, that was back in 1992 or 93, I think, when they came. And uh, uh, Jonathan was 19 months old at that time. And uh, I, uh, I, I think we do have the picture, or we should have a picture, and uh, that uh, I, we can show you. Is it, is it available? Maybe not. So, is it? Did it come up here? Where is it? Did, did it? Uh, Fade away from us. All right. If we get it, we'll show it to you. Uh, This is a picture of when uh, he was uh, about 19 months, maybe two years old, something like that. I was dark-headed and a lot younger than what I am now. And uh, I I was holding him in the fellowship hall during one of our uh, meals and one of our fellowships there at the church. And uh, so last night after church, we decided we might would try to recreate that, but it didn't work out quite as well as it did. I, I, I'm older and fatter and, uh, and not as strong, and he's tall. And so uh, I, I, we couldn't quite do it. But we're so glad to have Jonathan and Gay with us this morning. They're doing an incredible work. I'm not going to stand and t- tell you everything that they're doing because he's going to share. So, Jonathan, would you come at this time? Would you just welcome uh, Jonathan? And after he comes, Brother Taylor's going to come and share with you for just a moment. Good morning. Uh, I'm thankful to be here uh, this morning, this opportunity to, to be with you all. Um, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And you know what? Our girls uh, from Thailand, they send their warm welcome to you. Uh, and thank you for all those who are in support of us and, and your prayers are appreciated. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, Promised Land Ministries. Um, in 2016, 2015, 2016, I actually traveled around the world to 15 different countries, lived uh, in them uh, for about a month each, and um, started in Africa, went to India, Nepal. But when I was in Southeast Asia, God began to stir my spirit 
because there were things that I encountered there that I didn't, I didn't like. And uh, there were a couple of girls that I saw just taken right before my eyes. And I, I, I began to, to pray about that and, and, and ask God, well, what can, I, what can I do? What can I do? Because I know that you have a calling on my life. And so as I began to pray, the Lord put Promise Land Ministries on my heart. And he reminded me of what he told Moses. You know, he, he told Moses to go and let my people go, to tell Pharaoh that, to bring them into their promised land. And so there are so many children now, they're enslaved through sex trafficking, human trafficking. And so what we want to do is we want to go rescue them and bring them into their promised land that God has for them. Let me take you to Thailand for a second. And I want you to imagine two girls about nine, ten years old. Dad's on drugs, sells drugs, sells girls, has five wives. Mother doesn't really care, doesn't really take care of them. They're searching through trash cans for food on the streets, nine and 10 years old by themselves. And the Russian mafia and Chinese triad are around the corner and they see an opportunity to take them. But God saw them first. And he told us about them and we were able to get them before anybody else did. And now they're 13, 14 years old in school, living for the Lord, memorizing scripture, <laughs> wanting to teach others about God, wanting to learn more and go to college and, and have, they have dreams and visions now where once before they didn't have any goals for their life. And when we first got them, though, my wife and I, we had, we had gone to the store many times uh, in one month, and I was wondering where all the food was going. I was like, I know we have, you know, we have more girls, but where's the food going? Well, one night, we stayed up and acted like we were asleep. Come to find out, those two girls that we had taken they were taking food from the fridge and hiding it and put, taking it to their room because they didn't know they were going to get any the next day. And it was so ingrained in their mind that they weren't going to have anything that they just kept on, kept on. And I said, I took them aside and I said, girls, you live in this house. And that means that this house is provided by God. And God's going to provide for you the rest of your life. And so you don't have to worry about where your food's going to come from because God does not let his people go without food. And so I, I, I began to speak into them and we cried and that's just one of many stories. All of our girls have their own story, but we rescue them. We want to restore them and equip them for their promised land. We teach them different trades, how to sew. You can see those bags, they 
hand-loomed those bags and they hand-stitched them with their own designs. We teach them different business practices, how to take care of their finances. We teach them English. We teach them many different things. We have tutors for them. We take them to church. We teach them Bible, have devotions with them every night, in the morning and the evening. We teach them songs of worship, teach them how to lead worship. We want to equip them to become the best people that God has called them to be. And so I invite you to join us and help us rescue as many girls as we can, pour into their life, because your support matters. And we can change their world and rescue people from the enslaved sex trafficking, those that are at risk, and bring them into their promised land together. So thank you, and God bless you. Well, praise the Lord. Give God a praise for what God is doing through their ministry. And let me encourage you pastors, if you don't have some project you're working on, to take on these missionaries because certainly it's a phenomenal story of what they're doing for the kingdom. Let me uh, thank you, first of all, on behalf of Dr. Griffiths and Dr. Probst for what you do for Church of God World Missions. Missouri is, has really taken on the last few years a, a renewed effort of world missions, and it's showing. I think it's showing not only in uh, uh, your world missions giving, but I think it's showing in your local giving. And from what Bishop has told me regarding how God has helped you and blessed you as a church, uh, as a church state financially, and I appreciate that so very much. But I'm here to simply say thank you and to, to glorify God for what he's done through your lives and to bring you up to date. I know everyone's mind is on Ukraine and Russia and what's going on there. And as a matter of fact, I just stepped out because I saw a brand new uh, um, video that's been put up by our field director, Dr. Steve Darnell. And Dr. Darnell was sharing some of what's happening. Uh, you can go to his Facebook site if you want to and get the full video and uh, share it with your congregation if you so desire. We're in a very dire situation. Uh, we have about 100 churches in Russia, about 100 churches in Ukraine. Uh, from what Dr. Darnell says, they are very close, almost like family. The churches in both countries are work together and cooperate, and now war has separated them. And uh, they, don't, they don't have full story of everything that's going on. We do know that there's about 60% of our churches in Ukraine are in danger zone. And so many of the pastors are now actually uh, fleeing to safety and trying to find a place to hide. And the question is, where are they going? Well, they're going anywhere they can find a safe haven. And um, then also, in fact, we have about three orphanages there that they're, uh, some of the students in the most severe eastern Ukraine where the fighting is have been separated out and they've been taken into homes and they're being protected. Uh, some of the others, one in the central part of Ukraine, they're watching and are preparing to move them west. In the western Ukraine, they're watching things as well. So uh, it's a very dire situation. They are asking you and pleading with us, the American church, to pray for them and pray for God to intervene and stop this stupidity. That's what it is. It's just a, it's just a, a political power thing that's going on. And we just need God to intervene in whatever is necessary to, I, I, I'd be as bold as to say, take out some of those leaders in a very uh, 
dramatic fashion, those that have been for years blustering and threatening and accusing, and God just give them a heart attack or something, take them wherever they're going to end up. That's my political statement, folks, if you want to hear it. Why not? God can do, you know, then stop this foolishness. We don't need another war. We don't need this kind of thing where lives are being affected so dramatically. And, uh, and I pray that you would, I ask you that you pray for them. I really do. That's what I'm saying. And uh, forget everything else I said about the political side of it. Uh, don't, 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 don't record that part of it. Erase that one. But um, um, I, I'm not backing up. I personally will stand by what I said, but uh, I don't want to do it. Don't don't, I'm not representing the church right there, okay? Um, but, uh, but God is good, and, and we know God's going to undertake and, and protect. And, and uh, I ask you to pray for not only the people of Ukraine and the churches and and our, our pastors that are there, but pray for our leaders. Pray for Dr. Darnell, who is in a very precarious scenario to try to, how to minister to these people during this time. And so uh, these are our people. These are Church of God people. We are blessed, as your bishop said last night, that we're in 185 countries of the world, and God has put some of those places are in, are in, in dire and troubled situations. As a matter of fact, we're actually in other places that we don't tell you we're in because we don't put them in harm's way. We don't mention people's names. We don't, we don't even have them listed in our missionary list because we don't want them to be uh, attacked and, 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 uh, and dealt with uh, in a very severe way because of the political climate that wherever they may be. So would you pray for us in world missions and pray that somehow or another God gives wisdom and leadership to our our leaders, that we can do the right things and keep going forward. And would give us, pray for God to, to bless the church. And uh, this has been a challenging thing with COVID and everything. And so, so far, the churches have responded. God has used the church to keep giving and keep giving and keep giving. We want you to make sure that continues to happen. And you're the ones to do that. Of course, I'm your missions rep. I'm here to help you. And I'm here to come see you and to be a part of you, to help your congregation understand world missions and what's going on and understand how they can be a part of it. It's a miracle. There is a miracle in world missions that everyone can be a part of, and I encourage you to do so. Thank you, Bishop. God bless.
wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, the book of Isaiah chapter 43 says this. The Lord brought this to me just a second ago. He says this, I even I am the Lord and beside me there is no Savior. Oh, come on, somebody. I even I am the Lord and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared it and I have saved and I have showed and when there was no strange God among you therefore ye are my witnesses saith the Lord I am God yea before the day was I am he and there is none that can deliver out of my hand I will work and who shall stop it amen God is the God the one and only God beside him there is no other what a powerful name the name of Jesus Christ is can you just say the name Jesus in this place. Come on, in, in, in concert, let's just say the name of Jesus. Say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus. Oh, come on, lift your voice and say that name that's above every name a little bit louder. One, two, three. Jesus, at that name, demons flee, amen? At that name, situations change. The name of Jesus is a powerful name. What an awesome God that we serve. Beside him, there is no other. Beside him, there is no other. I have a wonderful honor and privilege today to be able to get up. And I, I, I tell my church week after week, I get the pleasure and honor of giving you the ability to be blessed by God. Sometimes we as the people of God think that this is the portion that, that of the service that gets hard when really this is the portion of the service where God desires to really show himself mighty. If I could, Brother DePietro, if I could get you to grab, just use them all. You know, when you ask, you receive. I, so many of you know me and Sister Deidre. I, I want you to just keep it. I, I want you to just begin to pass it around, okay? Pass it around. And, and just, you can, individually, Start, Brother Josh said, start with me. Many of you know, uh, Sister Deidre doesn't allow me to carry cash. Uh, and so I didn't have any cash. I started asking folks for a little bit of cash. And, you know, you ask and you receive. And uh, several people, you know, begin to bring money. And I said, yes, money cometh. And, uh, but but I, want it, I want this money to begin to be passed around because there's a concept that I don't think we get sometimes as the church that I want us to get is the money being passed around. It's not being stored up, is it? it just keep passing it around. It, even get out of your seat and just pass it around. I, I don't even mind if you don't pay attention to me. But I want you to continue to pass it around because there's, there's a unique economy when it comes to heaven. that same dollar bill maybe there's a five dollar bill I think in there and we're just doing that to tempt you we knew better than to put hundreds but that same dollar bill every time it comes into contact with you God has blessed you he blesses that dollar bill he blessed it into your life and then when you're willing to open your hand up and give it to somebody else he blesses it into their life. 
And then when they're willing to open it up and give it to somebody else, he blesses it into their life. And that same dollar bill gets blessed by God over and over and over and over again. This is the way of the economy of the kingdom of heaven. I'm so thankful that his economy is not like our economy in that when we print more money, our, the value of our dollar goes down. He can keep blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing. And the value of the gift never goes down. That's the God that we serve. Amen. He can keep on blessing it. That same dollar bill. I don't know how many folks are in the house today, but as many times as it goes around, he is blessing it in every case. And then he, and, and, and he allows that blessing to be in your life. Why is this important? Because you are blessed to be able to receive, but you're also blessed when you give. And when you give, you open up the door for more to be able to come in. There's a, there's a great story in 2 Kings chapter 4 of a, of a woman with a vessel of oil. And she, she went to the prophet and said, I don't have much. I don't have much to give. I don't have much in my life. He said, what do you have? I have a vessel of oil. And he told her to go, go borrow vessels. Go get as many vessels as you can and begin to pour out into those vessels. She just had this little jar of oil, probably much smaller than this. And she went to get vessels. And in, in verse number six, says she would they were filling and every time she would pour out it would fill up the next vessel just the little jar would would fill up the next vessel and another vessel would come and fill up the next vessel and and that continued to happen not until the jar ran out but until there were no more vessels left to fill the bible says in, in verse number six that the oil stayed only, the oil stopped only when all the vessels were filled. Where, where, where's the money at? Who has the money right now? Hoarding it up. See, this is a per, per, perfect example. I throw them under the bus almost every week. The, the, the only time that the economy of God and the economy of heaven stops in your life is when you take that blessing and you begin to stop it. I heard a preacher say one time, God is looking for a river, not a reservoir. And, it, and the only way that the blessing of God will stop in our lives is if we choose to allow God to bless us and then we choose to be the stopping point. We choose to stop the flow of what God has done. What am I telling you this morning? I'm telling you 100% of everything you have above nothing God gave you. Well, Pastor Paul, I worked for that. Thank God he gave you the ability and the means to do your work. Thank God that he's given you the blessings in your life to be able to do what you do. And he desires to continue to bless every single dollar, every single bit of what you give. And he is the best accountant. <laughs> I'm so thankful that the bank and trust of heaven has good accounting. Amen. Because he sees, and he sees not only what you give, but he sees the nature of your heart when you give it. I tell my church week after week, God is more interested in your motives than your money. So it's what, it's what heart we give in. Today I want to give you the opportunity to, to have an open hand.
to have an open hand to say, God, this hand's open to receive, but it's also open to give. And whatever that you bless into this hand, God, I will bless out of this hand. And, we'll, and I'll just continue to be a conduit, a river for you to flow through. And if you'll do that, I can promise you there are everybody in the room or so many people in the room can testify of the goodness of God. To be able to say you truly can't outgive God. Anybody ever testified that? Anybody ever put that to the test? It is absolutely true. So today I want to give you the opportunity to be a part of the river of God. As you're getting ready to prepare your gift, there's a QR code that you can scan. If you don't have cash like me, I'm not allowed to carry cash. And so last night it was very easy. I was able to point my phone in that direction. You scan the QR code. You don't have to take a picture of it. You just pull your camera up to it and your camera will automatically pull up a link right below the focus uh, area of your camera. And you click that link and it'll take you directly to where you need to go to give. You'll fill out just a little bit of information. It's very easy to do. Each week at Awakening Church of God, we take our seed and we hold it up before the Lord. Folks that give with their phone, they hold up their phone. It's not, it's not an idol. They're just, that's the way they give. We, we sow our seed. We don't throw our seed. We sow it. I tell people, if you don't have anything to give, God still wants to bless you and he wants to start the process. The Bible says he gives seed to the sower. So as we get ready to pray over this offering, I want you to take your seed and I want you to hold it up before the Lord. And I want to pray with you that God would bless it. I want you to do this. I want you to pray, God, I'm not just throwing this seed. I'm sowing it. It's important. I don't care if it's a dime, a dollar, or a thousand dollars. It's important to promote the kingdom of God. So we pray today, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over this seed. God, as we sow it into the fertile soil of your kingdom, we know that you are the God of multiplication. God, you have the ability to press it down, shake it together, and cause it to be running over. You have the ability, God, to make it be fruitful. And Lord, today we pray as we are sowing this seed that we would become rivers and not reservoirs, God. That we would become a, a part of the flow of your economy, God. And that you would allow the windows of heaven to be opened over us so that you can flow into us and through us, God, to the next person and to the next place in your kingdom. God, this seed that is sown. Let it go forth and accomplish what it set out to do, God. Lord, we pray that you would bring exponential blessing both to your kingdom and back to your giver, God. We thank you for the economy of heaven, Lord, and we just thank you that we cannot outgive you, God. We give you honor and praise and thanksgiving. We give in a with a cheerful heart today in Jesus' name, and the church said amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. What a beautiful name it is What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus Christ my King What a beautiful name it is And nothing compares to this What a beautiful name it is The name of Jesus What a wonderful name it is what a wonderful name it is, the name of 
Come on. How many know his name is powerful? What a wonderful name. Come on, sing it now. Hallelujah. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name. Oh, we bless that wonderful name, Jesus. Jesus Christ, our King. What a powerful name. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. We used to sing a song in the church that just simply said, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. I still feel that way this morning, don't you? Something powerful about that name. When you speak that name, can you just say that name with me this morning? Jesus. Come on, say it again. Jesus. One more time. Jesus. Don't you love that name this morning? Hallelujah. Oh, come on, give the Lord a good hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you to the praise team. You may be seated for just a moment. Let me just say real quickly before our guest comes to uh, share with us, uh, thank you for the way that you've given last night. Thank you for being faithful and giving in the offering. And I'll just tell you that I don't have the exact totals or, or whatever, but my, uh, my administrative assistant told me that we were right at a meeting budget last night if we didn't meet it in the service. And, uh, and then whatever came in this morning just take us on over that and so can you give the lord praise for that amen i'll just be honest with you my faith was fizzling a little bit when we had to kind of shift everything but but brother kent last night whenever he received the offer and just kind of built my faith back up a little bit uh, somebody said one time if your faith fizzles before the finish it was faulty at the first I don't know if it was faulty or not, but sometimes we just kind of look at things as they are. But don't you, aren't you glad this morning that God can go beyond what we can see and that he can always provide? And I've seen him do that over and over again. So thank you so much. Thank you for giving to world missions the way that you have in the state. When I came here six years ago and I looked in our category of states and I saw where we were as far as world missions, again, my faith was not very strong because we were facing a deficit here in 
in the state as far as our our operations is concerned and then our our world missions and and uh, I, I thought we'll never we'll never reach a top status in our in our category but I want to tell you that that we begin to give you begin to give to world missions and we begin to make that a priority here in the state and because I believe that because of your giving to world missions God gave us a turnaround in our state as far as our operations uh, account is concerned and so we're just so thankful and for the last three or four years now I think that we have been number one in our category of states double uh, A states that's a myth come on give the Lord praise for that and, uh, and so we, we've just seen God just do some conti- uh, great things. And let me just encourage you to continue pastors and, and laity to support uh, missions. Because if we, if we get interested in the things that interest God, he'll get interested in the things that interest us. How many believe that? And I believe that this morning. So uh, Jonathan and Gay is a great project. And let me encourage you that they're real pe- people and uh, you know them. So uh, continue to do that. We're so delighted to have this morning uh, Bishop Tom Gillum and his wife Kathy. I introduced you to them last night and them to you. Uh, they don't need any introduction as far as Missouri. Uh, they don't need an introduction here at Palace because they are connected here. And uh, I said last night and I said again this morning that uh, I think that uh, Missouri thinks that he's the fourth person in the Godhead. My dad had a pastor one time that uh, named Varney Aspinwall. And uh, Brother Taylor knows Varney. And my dad, I used to always say that Daddy thought there's four people in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and Varney Aspinwall. And that's why we feel about Tom Gillum. We love Tom and Kathy Gillum, and uh, they've just been great leaders everywhere. They've served when they pastored, pastored one of the late greatest churches in uh, Ohio, then served as evangelism director of Northern Ohio, then as overseer of the North Central region, then came to Missouri for six years, left here, went to South Carolina, stayed for six years, and now he's traveling around the country uh, as a world missions representative. Brother Gillum is one of the kindest men that I've ever met, and I can truly say he is a Christian gentleman, and he's a friend of mine, and I love him. He's given me opportunities to preach for him, and uh, we're just so glad to have him with us this morning. Would you join together? Stand with me, and let's just give a good warm welcome to your former bishop here in Missouri and to our friend, Bishop Tom Gillum. Amen. You may be seated. I want to say thank you, first of all, for attending this morning. Uh, As you know, the weather kind of shifted everything and uh, didn't know if it was even going to have our winter celebration or not. But you've got a bishop that he is a man of faith. And so with that being said, he decided the best thing to do was maybe to cancel Uh, Thursday night and Friday morning, which is when I was supposed to preach. And uh, then he called me and said, well, we're we're going to uh, add the service that you were going to preach on Saturday morning. And um, and so just come on and let's be a part of this. And so Kathy and I made our journey over and uh, we're so glad we did. My, my first thought was uh, last night, I hope we have 10 people there in the morning, uh, being a Saturday morning and uh, not planned uh, a service. 
originally. And uh, then this morning I thought, well, if we have 50 people, I'm going to be thrilled to death. Well, I don't know how many's here, but there's more than 50 people here. I can assure you, you had the praise team and that really helps us. And so I thank the Lord for that. I also want to say uh, thank you to your bishop, Bishop Thomas Powell, Tommy Powell, and the First Lady, Sister Jessica Powell. They are friends of ours, and he did come to North Central and preach probably maybe my first uh, camp meeting up there, did uh, several services, and, uh, and we've been friends ever since. Actually, we met in Ohio when he preached a camp meeting there, and uh, I think I may have been in the office. So that would have been over 20 years ago that we met. And uh, for him to have me back home is just a high honor, and I say thank you very, very much. I love you both. I respect you. Appreciate the fine job you do for the Church of God and for the state of Missouri. I think it would be very appropriate just to let this couple know how much you appreciate them. Thank you. We honor you today, both of you. Thank you so very much. God bless you. Well, Kathy and I, we've been married about uh, 45 years come June 4th, and uh, she is the love of my life. And I don't know about you older ones, but it's amazing. To me, I feel like our relationship is sweeter than it's ever been. It's different than it was in those earlier days, but it's sweeter. I told somebody, you know, that first year it was fight a little and love a little, you know. And, uh, and then we just uh, somehow, as time came, children came, and you make all these adjustments. But we've entered a season in our life now where that we were together a lot. We, we sit together in the evenings. We travel together. She goes almost everywhere that I go uh, traveling with me. And, uh, and so I, I love and honor her and appreciate her so much. And the wife and the mother and the wonderful grandmother that she is as well. She's a, a wonderful lady. Um, and, and tonight, I'm, I'm going to kind of move around, but this morning, I mean, uh, kind of was birthed this message for a couple of reasons. One was that uh, I read my Bible through every single year, and, and uh, in reading it through this year, I came across a scripture that is found in, and you don't have to stand yet, but found in uh, First Chronicles. You know, every year I get little nuggets when I read it over that I didn't know or I didn't get. And this is probably a, not an uncommon scripture for a lot of people, but it was, for some reason, spoke to me. And it talked about the sons of Iscor, and it said that they had an understanding of the times and to know what Israel ought to do. Now, we'll, we'll read that officially in just a moment. And then we were, we were sitting, uh, I haven't watched an NFL, NFL football game in years. Uh, watched a little college, but not NFL. And so, so we decided, you know, we'd been in Kentucky and we attended their prayer conference. I'd preached that morning uh, in London, Kentucky, and we drove on in that afternoon. We decided we'd watch a little of the NFL, football, Super Bowl. And really, one of the reasons we probably watched it, we wanted to see a little bit of the commercials. You know, they always do a lot of hype about the Super Bowl commercials. 
Lord, I couldn't understand nothing. And, and I told Kathy, I actually said, I said, Kathy, I said, I am, I am out of the times. I said, I am not relevant today. I said, I don't even, what does that commercial mean? She said, well, Tommy, it's, it's about technology and, uh, and, and shared some of those things. And so, so with understanding that, that we are, you know, the, the Bible talks about that it's important to understand the times and, and that it's important uh, for us to know what to do in the times that we presently live in and understanding just how out of touch I was in, in so many ways uh, in the world, I, I've decided that it was you know, time for me to do a little research and evaluate where I'm at and, 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 and I do that often. And one of, the, one of the things, another thing about me is that um, uh, I've always been somewhat adaptable, uh, and I think that's been part of my success as I was I adapted real easy to change and to situations, even though I probably hate change as much as anybody in this room. But in order to stay current and relevant, and especially with culture and the changes that is so rapidly taking place, you, you've got to be willing to, to change. You've got to be willing to adapt. And so I've questioned myself at different times over the last two or three years after I left the overseer work, uh, am I still effective? There was one time that I even thought about just retiring because I thought, well, maybe I'm just not effective anymore. Maybe I can't still make a difference. And, and, and then I go have a service and five people get saved. And so I say, okay, Lord, then, then you're still using me. I'm still effective in some way. And, and even in world missions, I've learned to use my testimony a little bit, just three or four or five minutes of it. And, and I've led over 150 people to Christ doing world mission services. And so God found a way, helped me to find a way so that I could still be effective in some way. And so I'm, I'm probably preaching today to myself as much as I am you. I, I'm trying to find my place in this rapidly changing world. And I really don't believe the Lord wants any of us just to sit down and do nothing. As long as there's breath, as long as there's memory, as long as there's health, then I believe that God wants to still use us and that we can be effective regardless of our age. God wants to use us in the work of the Lord. And so uh, that just will take me to the beginning here in a moment. I also want to say how good it is to be with the DePetris and uh, uh, DePetrio. Did I say that right? Okay, and uh, so so good to be with uh, them and to meet them, and then the Parmleys, which we have been long-term friends from our time that we were here. So it's good to be with your state office staff as well as you, Bishop. And as always, it's good to see with Brother and Sister Taylor. They uh, we we work together in world missions and do the same thing. We're each assigned so many states. I have nineteen states, but three of them are regions which have three states in them. And so those
those are the states he's been assigned, Missouri one of them, use him, get, use him, call him, uh, ask him to come, and he'll work with you about whatever project you want. Honored to be with you folks as well. And uh, there are just so many that I could say, Pastor Kent Miller and Jenny, and of course, Bishop said I have a relationship with this church, and I do. I, I think I've done four of your pastor appreciations, if I remember, uh, over the years. And uh, and if he knew I was coming, he'd probably say, don't get him again. But, uh, but they, I think they just call me anyway, and, and he lets them. But they, he knows they're not going to call somebody he wouldn't want. So, but I uh, love he and Sister Jenny, their family, the staff, wonderful staff. So we appreciate every one of you. And, and all of you that have come, you pastors, uh, members here, uh, I'm just so honored so honored to be here today and I love you I respect you and Bishop this is one of the high honors of my ministry and uh, I thank you so very very much would you stand with me now I'm going to read and you don't have to turn there I've already mentioned it but I'm going to read from first chronicles uh, uh, chapter 12 and verse 32 and this scripture says of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask you today to help me to communicate with clarity. I pray, dear Lord, that you will challenge us, all of us, regardless if we are a pastor or in ministry or if we are just a wonderful layperson that loves you and works and supports our, our local church. Father, we just pray that today you will speak to us. We pray that you will help us to understand our importance in the kingdom that it's important for us to do our very best to stay active and, and to be effective and fruitful in the things that you have asked of us. Today, I just pray that, Lord, you will, that you will again just uh, speak to us and challenge us to be able to make some adjustments if necessary, that we keep doing what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. If you look at this passage of Scripture or this verse of Scripture in its context, what you, what you find is, is that Saul has been killed and Jonathan has been killed and, 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 and there's a shift that is taking place in Israel. Much of Israel already knew that, that they were, they were um, uh, changing kingships, that no longer would Saul's family be, be the king, but that David had been anointed to be king. And so David has been hiding out prior to this particular chapter. He's been hiding from Saul, and Saul is jealous of his exploits. And uh, he's really out to try to kill David. We read the story many times when he would go after David or throw the javelin, but in some ways try to end David's life because he was a threat to the kingship. Now, if you wonder why David was successful, though, I think that these few chapters give us a little insight. It reveals to us that 
that he surrounded himself with people that had vision and people of burden and people of wisdom. And all great leaders understand that, that your success is not totally and most of the time not uh, entire or, or much of the time uh, dependent upon you but it's because of the fact that you have learned how to put people in right places and people that are around you that can do things that you cannot do and so David David had surrounded himself with people that had vision and that had carried a burden for Israel and that were people of wisdom and so he'd been hiding out in Ziglag and, and mighty men began to rally to his side, men who were experts with bows and could hurl rocks with both the left hands and the right hands, and, and mighty men of valor, experts with the shields and spears, and, and also people that were famous for their warfare ability. What a group this is that have come to surround this man, David, that is now been anointed king of Israel. And so what he did is he surrounded himself with the best. And it's in this uh, list of warriors that we find this particular verse that the children of Issachar were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Now I find this somewhat interesting among all the mighty warriors, among the country's best and most prolific military men. There was a group of people who had understanding of the times. They had a feel for what was happening and they knew how to respond. And I, I want to say that this is really a picture of how the church should operate as well, and especially in the days that we presently live in, how that we need warriors and we need people that are seasoned and people that are experienced and who know how it is to win and, and have the taste of victory, mighty men and women of faith, men of valor, women of strength and courage, but also people who know the times. I really have thought a lot about this particular message and I thought about how all of this relates to me. That I, I, I need to be able to understand the days that we're living in. If I really am sincere about wanting to be effective, if I still want to see uh, uh, my life productive in the things of God, I need to understand the days that we're living in. And I need to be willing to do my best to go about uh, working and bringing the change in my life that will bring change in the world that I live. It was 1974, in fact it was just two days ago, on February the 24th, 1974, that my life would forever change. Some of you, many of you probably have heard my testimony. I'm not going to give all of that to you, except to say that I grew up the youngest of four in the Methodist Church in Central Alabama. But mom died when I was 14 and I got away from the church. I had an alcoholic dad and, and I really had all the freedom in the world. I didn't know how to study. I, I, I was blessed to get out of high school because there were no parental guidance to my life. There was nothing. And, uh, but I did graduate. At the age of 20, I got up from 
uh, my, my house on a Sunday morning and I went back to that little country church and the Lord spoke to me and that night I went to the preacher's house and I gave my life to Christ. Well, things forever would change in my life. I went home that night. I poured what alcohol I had down the kitchen sink. I never had another drop of alcohol from that day to this day. And it wasn't long till God began to deal with me. I got a hunger for God. I began to read the Bible. That's one thing I've always done. I've never quit reading the Bible. And I've read it through, I don't know how many times. I've uh, been saved 48 years. I'm sure I've read it over 40 times. Uh, but but I read the Bible through and I was I was like a sponge. And I would, I would search the scripture and I'd read and I carried a little New Testament. And wherever I went, if I had a moment's time, I was studying the scripture and reading the scripture. In those days, I would kneel down probably 10, 15 times a day. A lot of my prayers wouldn't be over a minute long, but I would just kneel and, and I would honor God by kneeling and I would pray and I would ask the Lord to help me with a situation or, or to forgive me of a sin. I, I was so sensitive that I wanted to live for him that if I thought for a moment that I had sinned in some way, I would immediately confess it and ask God to just help me. It wasn't then a matter of two or three months that I heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I remember praying the night I, I had what they call stammering lips. I said, God, if you want to, if this is of you and you want me to have it, I want it. Well, it didn't happen just then. I was actually uh, at four. Lee, Virginia, in a, in a bottom of an old barracks they were tearing down in a boiler room that I prayed and asked God to fill me, and he gave me the wonderful heavenly language of speaking in tongues, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was that same week that God gave me a vision, and I, I saw myself preaching at this uh, uh, little white country church back in Weagufka, Alabama, and it kept just, uh, I mean, it was so strong that I finally got up and I knelt down and I said, God, I don't know what you're trying to say to me, but if you're wanting me to try to preach, now keep in mind, I'm an introvert by nature. And so I said, if you want me to try to preach, said you have the minister who led me to Christ to ask me to take a Wednesday night service. Lo and behold, he asked me, that I got home, he asked me if I would take the next Wednesday night. I thought no, but I remembered what I'd prayed and promised the Lord. My first sermon was terrible. It was seven minutes long. They told me, they said, uh, Tommy said, you kept running your hands in and out of your pocket so much, we thought you were going to push your pants down to the floor. And so... I, I, it was a terrible time for me, but I, I will tell you that two people got saved that night. I don't understand this, but for some reason, God's always given me an anointing to lead people to Christ. I've prayed with them in filling stations on top of garages and other places for people to receive the Lord. I, I used to pray almost every service, the church I pastored the last few years. We had people to rededicate their life or come to 
know Jesus Christ. And so you can understand a little bit that, that in my life, I still want to make a difference. I still want to win the lost. I still have a burden for people that are lost. And I want to see people come to know Jesus as Lord. I started to school. I ended up going to a junior college. I, my first year was learning how to study. And then I went to Bible school and I went on to Lee and, and I met Kathy at Lee. She's from Ohio. I'm from Alabama. We got married. I finished school and uh, went a year to the graduate school. And then I went to Ohio to pastor a church. We were in Ohio for 23 years and God did bless us while we were there. In spite of me, somebody said, why did you stay so long? I never intended to stay as long as I had. I think maybe it's because they knew me and I knew them and I was comfortable with them. And so I didn't have to get out of my comfort zone so much if I would go. But you know, God doesn't always work that way. He doesn't leave us where we're comfortable. In fact, I told somebody, maybe it was you, Bishop, this morning, that I am at my best when I am under pressure. I don't like pressure. I don't like stress. I try to avoid it as much as I can. But I'm telling you that sometimes God allows that to come in our life so that we will be willing to stretch ourselves, and so that we would be willing to be used of God in a, a more dynamic fashion. And so I just encourage you, don't run from the call of God and don't run from the stress that may come in your life from time to time, but just keep trusting the Lord and allowing him to show you how to work through times. And so as I, as I went through all of this and our children began to be born and you know there's always adjustments with children. Lord, I tell you, I thought at that time that that first baby, I, I was afraid, I was scared to death to hold it, afraid it'd break or something or I, I'd drop her, you know. And so you learn, you learn. I, I got to a place where that, you know, now I'll take up a baby and I know to make sure and hold that head straight and, and it doesn't bother me like it once did. But we, we were growing. Kathy and I was growing as a couple and we were growing as a family and we were growing as a church as well. And the thing about this was this, that things were always evolving and things were always changing. They were changing in my life personally. They were changing in our family. They were changing in the church. I remember we'd been there about six months and we had a little old building about, a, well, it was a 32 by 70, had a sanctuary, four classrooms, a furnace room, and two bathrooms. And I mean, it, 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 it was no bigger for, it wasn't as big as this area here. I mean, it, you can know it wasn't large, but we began to grow after six months and we knocked out a Sunday school room. And then it wasn't long, we began to grow again. And we, we, we built a sanctuary and then, you know, it, it kept growing and we built another sanctuary. We built the parsonage and, and an outbuilding and a few other things, but we were always growing. We were always being stretched and, and there was a lot of things that were happening. Life was evolving. And so in those earlier years, they were somewhat transitional years as well. But here's the key here. I never lost my passion during those times. I always stayed true to what my passion was. Somebody would say, what is your passion? Well, it's winning the lost. You've heard me say that. But one of the passions that I had was that I love people. I don't know 
know why I think it's a gift. It took me a while to ever understand that. But I believe God's given me a gift to love. Because I, I don't know anybody that I hate. I don't know anybody that I dislike. Uh, there's a few that I, I don't necessarily want to be best friends with. Uh, but, but, but I just, I, I had a gift to love people. And I remember after getting saved that I went to the hospital in Sylacauga, Alabama. And, and I'm sitting in the waiting area outside of intensive care. And all I could remember is, is, is that, that uh, I want to I help people. And so that became my passion. And so from there on, that was it. I, I will tell you this, didn't intend to. But after several years at the church there, I went through a thing called leadership backlash. And, and, and I, I come across that term in a book called Leaders to Lead on leadership and, and what that is is if, if you stay anywhere long enough there will be times when somebody will probably come against you they may have been friends they may have been your biggest supporter uh, of the church or whatever of your ministry but they 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 it doesn't mean that they they dislike you but they kind of rise up uh, maybe against uh, the something going on or in your leadership and I had that to happen and I went to my friend and and I cried one day. We, we, I'm not a good golfer. I don't play hardly ever. But we went to a golf course in Pennsylvania. Met there. And, and I cried all day long basically. And, and had the mully grubs. And I never will forget. Before I went to get in my car. He said, Tommy, he said, what is your passion? He said, whatever your passion is, is, is what you need to go back to. And you need to preach that. You need to live that. I got in my car and I drove that two and a half hour home and I and God immediately took me back to that to that uh, hospital room and I remember thinking all my passion is is that I want to help people I got up on Sunday morning we had a packed house that morning things were a little tense because people knew what was going on and and I, I didn't preach a regular sermon but I told the story more detail about what I just told you and so I preached my passion you could have heard a pin drop in that room that morning and, and when I finished there was never another word spoken about what was going on and what the problem had been. Wasn't moral. Nothing like that. And so God helped me because I preached my passion that that, that was love for people. That I wanted to help people. And I have never lost that to this day. It's not one, there's not one part of me that wants to hurt people or to hurt anybody. I want to help people to get to heaven. I want to help people to get their life straightened out. I want to help people to know Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And that's my passion today. And I want to tell you, you may say, what is my passion? What is your passion? I mean, I tell you this, your passion is whatever that will drive you to tears when nothing else will. Your passion won't be my passion necessarily, but it's something that you feel strongly about. It's something that will cause you to be motivated to do what you ordinarily would not do and so God God dealt with my life in that way and we were we were changing and we worked through that and the church kept growing and and there were moments when I I thought the church is gone as far as it will go I, I've reached my lid my uh, I won't be able to take this church any further and lo and behold by the grace of God the church would start to grow again and it'd grow again and we'd move to another level. 
people. The one thing I found interesting was that God always made sure that I was ready to grow with it because you cannot manage what uh, you, you you can't manage growth unless you're growing with it. God prepares you to be able to take the growth he sends you. But I'm telling you don't ever get, if you're a pastor here in particular, don't ever get satisfied with where you're at. I tell you one of the great hindrances to our ability to grow the kingdom of God is because we get too comfortable and we settle in and we think well we've taken it as far as we can take it. I thought that sometimes in my ministry but I'm telling you God's got to work for you and I. He didn't call us just to babysit. He called us to go out and win the loss. He called us to make a difference to push back the powers of darkness and of hell and to win people with Jesus Christ uh, for Jesus. So you and I need to do that. And so so I look at that and I, I, I look at how the Lord has worked in my life and I'm reminded always of the depravity of man. And we can see that today. I'm telling you like never before. Just look around you at men and women and how that, that uh, sin has overtaken their life and what they really need is the love. Man's needs have never changed. They need mercy and they need grace and they need forgiveness and they need, they need salvation. And so I've come to a place in my life that where I've reached a, another, where I've, I've reached another, um, another, another place where I, I've got to, I've got to determine what I'm going to do. That's what I'm trying to say. And, and I, I, I don't care what our age is here today. I, I think that all of us, if we're truthful and we really love God and we really want to make a difference, we, we come to these places in our life when God just kind of stretches us and challenges us and, and speaks to us whether or not we're willing to keep expanding and keep growing and being who it is that he wants us to do what to be. I I look at this and I thought about this. If there's ever a time in the church where we need understanding of the times in order that we can reach the world, it's today. Lord, help us. If there's ever been a time that we need to understand the days we're living in, it is today. We know that the times are changing. They've always changed. I read something in preparation for this. There was a guy in Maine. There were two or three people quoted him. But there was a guy in Maine who lived to be 100 years. And, and they, people were interviewing him and asking him, you know, how, how, how did you, you know, you've seen a lot of things change in 100 years in your life. He said, yeah, and I didn't agree with any of them. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes that's where we're at. We just are not willing to make the necessary changes that will, will open the door for opportunity and for ministry. I remember it was in the 90s, Kathy had gone to, back to school and she was at Kent State and and she told me, she said, Tommy, there's going to be a, a guy that talks about trends in America 
And his name was Peter Drucker. Some of you know who he is. He's a guru of, of trends and economics and so on. And so I went to the school to see him and to hear him. And he talked about there would be three forces that would be at work in the 90s. And he said one of them would be uh, uh, regionalization, which was basically where economies would come together. And, of course, we saw the American trade agreement that came and developed after that. And there were other uh, tra trade agreements that, that happened. But it was in order to kind of bring people together in the economics and, and uh, all of that. I'm not going to go into all that. But he talked about uh, also globalization. And, and I've never forgot about the term globalization. At that time, we were we were using uh, a little cell phone, but they were they were the flip phones, or they weren't the kind of iPhones that we have, and they didn't have the capabilities of what our phones do today. I'm talking about back in the 90s. I remember when we got our personal computer. You turn that thing on, it'd take three or four minutes of whining and crying and carrying on. You know, Ford finally come on. You older ones on the ones that can remember all of that. But but I, I remember and and I, I I thought you know this this is really unbelievable that it's bringing the world together like this and now we've got these iPhones and and uh, while I was up here somebody called me I don't know who it was and I didn't look but I could feel it on my wrist you know what I'm talking about I didn't feel it in my pocket but I felt it on my wrist I'm telling you it's unbelievable how in the world can you put a number in and talk to somebody on the other side of the world or take a picture and send it. And I don't understand any of that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying that the world is a lot smaller because of globalization. And, and we're rapidly changing. In fact, we know that it's a fulfillment of Daniel 12 that talks about in the last days, people would be running to and fro and knowledge would greatly increase. And so, so that's where we're at today. I believe we're living in the last days. And I believe that Jesus is getting ready to come back for the church. In fact, let me just say this. When I got saved in 74, Southern gospel was really popular. And every song, or every other song talked about the rapture of the church, a snatching out of the saints, or it talked about heaven or something like that. And then we went through a phase where that no longer did you have that. In fact, I used to show that movie, uh, A Thief in the Night and Distant Thunder. Anybody remember those old movies? I'd go to the library and rent a reel-to-reel -reel projector and we'd get on Sunday night and we was trying to pe scare people into heaven. My daughter said, Daddy used to scare us to death with them movies, you know. But, but we, we, you know, we, we, were just, we were just trying to find ways to get people to know Jesus. And, and, and it was a time that we were living in. And, and then all of a sudden we reached the 80s and 90s and styles of preaching began to change. And no longer did we, we preach those kind of sermons. You, you didn't hear the songs anymore. And we began to preach self-help messages. I did that. I began to talk about how to do this and how to do that and how 
how to be successful and how all this kind of stuff. And that, that's what we began to preach about. And, and then when I became a, a, a bishop or, or overseer, I began to find that most of my ministry was about trying to bring encouragement. And so I'd go into a church and, a, and, and I'd try to encourage that pastor. I'd preach a sermon that would try to be an encouragement to them and build them up. I wanted to leave them at least better than what I had come there with, or at least I hoped I could do that, and it began to change. But let me tell you, with all that's happening in the world, and that's a good report on Ukraine, but all that's happening in the world today is reminding me, it's taking me back to the 70s and letting me know that the promises of Jesus are without fail, and Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that there where I am, you may be also. And I'm telling you, I don't understand all that's happening, but there's always been wars. There's always been rumors of wars. We know Matthew 24 tells us there'd be famines. There'd be all these kind of things happening. Reading the Old Testament, I'm telling you, it's no different today than it was in the day of Israel. They were fighting and there were wars and there were slaughters and there were killing and there were famines and all those things back then. We still have them today, but they remind me of one thing, that Jesus stands true to his promise and he said, if I go away, I will come again. And so I just want to, I didn't intend to say all this, but I want to say this, that you and I, rather than to get scared about everything, rather than to go run somewhere and try to hide or stick our head in the sand somewhere, what we need to do is just lift up our eyes and understand that our redemption draweth nigh. We are closer to the coming of the Lord than we've ever been. I believe it's soon. And I believe that what we see are the pains uh, of uh, birth pains that are happening, the travailing before the return of the Lord. Then some people said, you know, that this was a nuclear age. And they talked about the agriculture age. If you have land, you have power. It's the capital age. If you have money, you have power. The information age. If you have knowledge, you have power. And in reality, right along with this, what you saw happening in the United States is that you saw that we started, when we started as a nation, we, were, we, were, we had an agriculture economy. And then we shifted to an industrial economy. And now we have shifted to the information age or economy. And everything is driven by technology. And, and that's how people get their wealth in this age. Higher expectations but lower, uh, lower loyalty. I'm telling you there was a day when, when you went to the same dentist your whole life. Or you went to the same doctor as long as he lived. And you didn't change. You shopped at the same grocery store same bank, all those kind of things. But I'm telling you, it's a different day and a different world today. Now there's no such loyalty. I mean, we just change as, as the wind changes. We change banks. We change where we shop. In fact, we don't go to one grocery store. We may go to four or five grocery stores, depending where the sales are all at. And so we just see a shift that's come to our world. And, and if you and I are not careful, we will be left behind. We 
we we will we will settle in somewhere and we will become we will become stagnant and we'll just live life and we'll sit our life away watching television or or just kind of hanging out at the house and I'm here to say that I don't believe that God ever tended any of us just to sit down and be immobile and not do anything but he has raised us up and I've got to say the old gray haired men and women as well as the young uh, couples uh, in, in, our, in our ministry God is using them whoever they are God is saying there is a place for you you can make a difference where you're at you can win people you can see people's lives change and God wants to help us do that and so there are changes, there are trends, and there are shifts, and there are shifts in commitments. But here's the thing. Man's basic need is still the same. Every one of us, in order to be happy and fulfilled, need an experiential relationship with Christ. I'm saying you've got to be saved. And if we really believe that, then we need to also carry a burden for others to be saved. All of us, all of mankind alike needs a Savior. And people are searching and they're hungry and they're looking for things of the Lord. So what, and I want to try to bring this to a conclusion. But how did the message change over the years? What did I do that helped me to try to be impactful in my ministry? How did the methods change? And I might say that you and I need to understand that the message never really changes. It's the same. You preach the word. The message never changed, but how you go about the strategy you use to get people in. I was thinking about this, you know, I, I'll never wear a bunch of holes in my blue jeans preaching the gospel. I don't fault somebody that does that. I really don't. I, I, I try to be, you know, broad-minded in that respect. But you got to understand, I grew up a poor country boy. And we had holes in our jeans. You sewed them up and you put patches on and you went to school and you was embarrassed about having a patch on your jeans. Because it probably said you was poor. <laughs> but that's kind of how I grew up. But nowadays they pay, I mean, mega bucks to get look like they, there's more holes than there are jeans, fabric there. That's okay. I mean, there are people that do that, that they, they have a, an extremely impactful ministry. And they, 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 they really do reach a generation. And that is, that's probably a key word right here today. Is that we got to understand generationals. Just before coming here, I did the funeral of my aunt, 91 years old. She was the last sibling of my dad. And I remember standing before the family and the friends that were there. And I said, Aunt Nita, pass. What she did was that her, her dying was a death of a generation. And now there's another generation, and there's another generation coming up, and another generation that is coming up after her. And so we've got to be willing to understand that no two ministries are going to be identical to one another.
and that God's going to use people from every generation in order to reach people. And we got to be open-minded about that. In 1999, and I promise you I'm going I'm to close this out. In 1999, I was still pastoring, and I had flown to Alabama to see my family. And I was on my way back to Cleveland, Ohio, and on the plane, the Lord spoke to me. And I've never forgotten what he spoke to me. It's still relevant today for this old boy. And here's what the Lord said. Keep the message simple. It's not complicated. Present the gospel, but keep it simple. Be willing to accept change. Change is inevitable. But be willing to flow with it and to accept it. Love when it is difficult to love. And people who have not done this often end up bitter. Bitter at life. Bitter at others. Guard your heart. Keep a right spirit and a right attitude and love even when it's hard to. And finally, the Lord said, maintain a close relationship with him. That takes work. I have to pray. Sometimes I have to work at it. It's, I don't pray on my knees like I once did, but I still pray. But I still get on my knees, too, because I just want to humble myself. And so I, I, I try to maintain that relationship, praying, reading the Bible, thinking, reflecting. Be adaptable. Know your passion. Be deliberate, deliberate in developing relationship skills. Brother Taylor, you and I know that World Missions, our, our success is based on relationships that we have. Overseers and with pastors and with members, they are the key. Know what your core values are. Don't ever lose those core values. And learn how to communicate effectively. Understand the importance of balance and keep good balance in your life. Be a thinker and learn how to reflect. That's really key for me. I, I tell folks I'm simple, but I'm not dumb. But I am a thinker. As a leader, where am I at today? Well, I still read my Bible, I still pray, and I still attend church. On Wednesday nights, not many have Sunday nights anymore, but I attend church. I still have a strong desire to see people one to Christ. I still feel this pastoral calling that drives me, even as a bishop. Somebody said, said, you know, Brother, Brother Powell seems like he's got a pastoral calling. But I still feel and operate in that pastoral calling. And my life is still changing and evolving. And I'm hoping that I can be like the men of Issachar that Lord would help me to understand the day and the times that we're living in. 
and that I will know what I ought to do. Would you stand with me? Holy Spirit, you may want to play something or sing something, but I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit just to speak to us. You know, I can't help but to think that probably other people are where I'm at. Because it's called life. We're all alike. I mean, we all struggle with the same basic needs and situations. Maybe not all at the same time. Maybe a little different in certain things. But we, we all struggle with the basic human need. But here's what I'm going to ask. As we see war looming, as we see our economy spiring out of control, as we see a deterioration of our very core values in this country and around the world, God is still calling us to be men and women of courage, of faith. God is still calling you and I today to understand the days, the times that we live in and that he will help us to know how we ought to do what we ought to do. And so I'm going to ask us to come and if you want to kneel, if you want to stand, it's still a little early. We won't be here long, but I want you to take this time as they reflect. Last night was a powerful, powerful move. I'm telling you, Brother Jonathan Ziegler is amazing, anointing. But I, I want you to take time to reflect. I want you to take time to give thought to your life and where you're at and where you're going. And I want you to ask yourself, do I, do I want to make a difference? Do I know what I need to do right now? If not, ask God to begin to show you that you can understand where we're at and the point, this point of history and that you will be able to be, be fulfilled in your ministry and your call. Whether you're a laity, whether you're a pastor, it doesn't really matter what. God has called all of us to serve him, to win the lost, to make a difference. So would you just come and stand or kneel or whatever you feel and would you sing something for us right now? Just let the Lord speak to your heart. Let this be a time of reflecting. Be intentional in your prayer here today. Give thought to what you're saying and what you're asking and let the Lord do a work. He wants to use all of us. Okay. 
the dead eye. 